This is the Digital Savage Experience Podcast, hosted by Roman Prokopchuk, bringing you all things digital marketing, tech, business, and motivation. What's stopping you from becoming relentless in all aspects of life? Are you ready to become a digital savage? Let's get into today's episode. Hey everyone, this is Roman Prokopchuk, and this is the Digital Savage Experience Podcast. Today I have with me Todd Palmer. Todd is an executive coach, keynote speaker, thought leader, author, and CEO who is committed to helping business owners tackle their obstacles and clear their path to success. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really, really thrilled to be here. My pleasure. So tell me a little bit about your journey. How did you get to where you are today? Oh my gosh. So this could take up this one question could take up your entire show. Um, the you know so I'm a retired CEO. I retired a few years ago, and I started my company when I was about 27 years old. That was my first official launch as an entrepreneur. When I reflect back upon my 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 life's journey, I probably really started being an entrepreneur when I was about 12 years old in school. Uh, sell, selling candy. I grew up in a very small town. I had like 42 kids in my graduating class. And you know, we had one store in town, so I'd stop at that store, buy a bunch of candy with my uh, allowance, and go to school and buy it for a nickel and sell it for a quarter. Margins were phenomenal. Um, so that's kind of my first foray into being an entrepreneur. Fast forward, I'm 27 years old. I just became a single dad, raising my son by myself, and I decided that was the best time to start my company. I started a staffing business, a temporary help company here in Metro Detroit, and um, I really got into entrepreneurship because I found that I really wasn't a very good employee. I had too many ideas. I didn't follow the rules. I don't know, may resonate with some of your listeners who are you know, going through the same process. And about 10 years into my journey, you know, we had some good years and some bad years. We had been really for, fortunate, like day 72 of being in business, we actually started making money, which is really rare because we, we were in a space where there was an increased demand and a diminished supply of human capital across our area, put together a transportation companies, started driving people literally to work before there was Uber. And, um, but I also made some, a lot of bad choices or a lot of, a lot of um, negative choices in regards to the people I hired to work for me, how I didn't manage them, how I uh, avoided conflict how I listened to my imposter syndrome, the itty bitty shitty committee in my head. It was telling me how much I suck and how I could have done things differently. So by 2006, I would gotten myself into quite a precarious position. I was the company, me personally as well. We were $600,000 in debt on about a two and a half million dollar run rate. The company is completely upside down and underwater. And the bank was going to take my house. I was about two months away from running out of all of my money. My son, who was by about that time, about 10, 11 years old, was freaking out, wondering, where are we going to live? My dad's completely, you know, as tweens will do, my dad's completely screwed up my life. And um, I, for the first time in my career, decided it was no longer feasible to be that rugged individualist entrepreneur. I wasn't the oracle. I realized I didn't have all the answers to all the problems all the time. And I finally raised my hand and I hired a coach. And that coach came in, taught me some quick financial literacy. Um, but he also said we had to make some sweeping changes. And part of that sweeping change was um, I decided with his help to retool the company, relaunch the company, but not file bankruptcy because I didn't think that was the right thing to do. 
But I did decide to replace my team. I fired my entire company in one day on September 9th, 2006, literally the worst day of my business career. And I started over. Over the course of the next eight years, we made many pivots, reinvented the business, and paid off all the debt, thankfully. I'm very proud to say that. And we made the Inc. 5000 is one of the fastest growing companies in America, uh, an amazing six times. To make it once was pretty cool. To make it six times, never thought that would happen. Uh, about three years ago, I retired from that business, and I've been coaching and speaking ever since on entrepreneurship, on getting stuck, inside-out leadership that in order to change your business, first we must change ourselves. In order to change your family, we must change ourselves. In order to change your marriage, we must change ourselves. And my next book is called From Suck to Success, A Guide to Extraordinary Entrepreneurship. And we talk a lot about getting people unstuck around times like COVID, around things such that you can't control, as well as the choices you can control. So in a nutshell, that's a little bit about me. Yeah, that's awesome. And I, I often say you're kind of uh, your worst, uh, you know, nightmare. It's a you versus you battle. So the first thing you need to get through in terms of a hurdle for a business decision, like you said, a personal decision, making any kind of change or changing a habit is getting out of your own head and stepping out of that kind of comfort zone as well. So I think that's important. Obviously, a lot of businesses don't necessarily pivot in terms of restaffing the whole business. And obviously, it's a it's a scary time. But I think now uh, more than ever, that kind of message is needed with the you know the state of the global economy and different things in terms of specific industries just real, riddled in terms of shutdown. So I think that message is really important. Well, I agree with you. It's it's interesting. What my coach had me do is he said, you know, we got to change the doom loop in your head around, around how you look at the world and how you're seeing things. And you know, I you know, now I look back now, I'm pretty convinced that I was clinically depressed. I couldn't get out of bed. I wouldn't go into the office. I was avoiding things. So the first book he had me read was a book called Good to Great by Jim Collins, one of the best, probably my favorite business book of all times. And in there is a section about Admiral James Stockdale. And it ties into his concept called the Stockdale Paradox. And I think Stockdale Paradox back in 2006, and then we went through the recession, and even as we go through the COVID times, really applies. And for, for people who haven't heard about it, the Stockdale Paradox, at its simplest form, is confront your brutal reality. Stockdale's brutal reality was he was a prisoner of war. He was being held against his will for eight years. And during that eight years, he estimated he was tortured upwards of 30 times. The, the, flip, the underlying part of that was to remember that I will survive this. I will get through this. And what he chose to do from a mental and a, and a mindset perspective is I've decided I'm going to make these, these eight years the defining moment of my life. Well, COVID's no different. We can take a look at our businesses, whether we're in restaurant, retail, hospitality, service-based businesses. I had to do this with my speaking business. I lost all of my stages within two weeks and I had to pivot my model and how to still serve my audience. And the, the, real, the real underlying factor in that I really leaned out so much upon, on the Stockdale Paradox was is I decided, and I think a lot of people now can decide that COVID isn't happening to me, it's happening for me. How can I get more creative? Where, can I, if I'm very much like I was, I was, you know, I had to be in the room, I had to be on stage, I had to be on planes, I had to be in airports, I had to be around the globe. Well, now I can be from my living room, I can be from my home, I can still deliver the message, I can still reach out to entrepreneurs who are up in chaos and crisis during these tough times and, and during the other times to be of service to them. So if I doubled down on what I'm really there for, it made it a whole lot easier. And I learned that back in 2006 when I helped turn the company around, relying on my coach and you know, great books like Good to Great. 
Yeah, I think that's really important in that kind of uh, owning your truth and regardless if it's bad or good, because we're not necessarily all dealt the same cards in terms of situations and, and success. So making the best out of the variable, I mean, when an industry closes, you have no choice. So either, you know, fold with it or pivot. I know, obviously, a lot of people have pivoted into different things that may have been a passion that they never had time to do in terms of being laid off, furloughed, their business is closing. And I mean, it, it's all perspective. Um, and, and like you said, in, in terms of like the mindset as well, what you went through in terms of like the, the chaos and, and the uncertainty of your business, I, I say that entrepreneurship is one of like the loneliest journeys. So you have all of that on your shoulders and mental health is often underlooked. So a lot of founders, you know, uh, executives, things of that nature, there's a higher rate of depression, suicide, and that's really underlooked in, in this community. Oh, I think it's even bigger. Yes, and it's kind of a yes and statement. So yes, depression is higher. You, you, know, you have an 80% chance of your business failing in the United States if you start up. I mean, divorces only happen 50% of the time across all sections here in the US, but you pivot that divorce rate into entrepreneurship, it's significantly higher. Suicide rate, significantly higher. Drug and alcohol addiction, significantly higher. Uh, you know, I, I've read some really interesting studies to your point around you know, the, the behaviors of an entrepreneur and the behaviors of an addict or an alcoholic are almost identical. It's how they're funneled. It's how they're driven through the marketplace. Meaning, if I'm an entrepreneur and I'm chasing the next quote unquote, the next high, I mean, I got to get my next sale. That was me. I had to get to 20 million. I was driving. I didn't realize that only 4.3% of all companies in the US ever reached a million dollars. So I'm running 3 million, 4 million. I'm telling myself how much I suck. So my, 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 my message was completely jacked up. But then you take a look, you know, then you take that and you lay that over someone who, who's always chasing the next high through drugs and alcohol or so through other addictions. The behaviors of an entrepreneur are so, so much like that of, of someone who's got an addiction problem because I'm addicted to, you know, and then what we do, what do we do with that addiction? So I, I'm chasing my next sale. I got to get it. I'll give it away just to get the yes. I'm addicted to the yes. And then we, we peel it down to the next layer. Who pays the price for that? Yes. Well, I take it out on my family. I take it out on my staff. I, I get into debt. Well, someone who's got addiction problems, they typically will take it out on their family. But what I honestly think, Roman, at the bottom line of that is both entrepreneurs and people with addiction problems are trying to fill an emptiness within with external validation, either through entrepreneurship or the fun and, and, and excitement of whatever the drug of choice might be. And we all have an emptiness. And as soon as we recognize and realize that the external world isn't going to make us whole, the external world isn't going to fill us up, the money, the success, whatever, the awards. Once we realize that and we pivot our definition of success into something differently, then, only then do we really get the satisfying life we want. I had to, you know, I was, like I said, I was wrapped up in getting, I get a 20 million in revenue. Fast forward to about eight, nine years ago, I realized that that's not a good goal. That's not a successful I didn't feel good because I mean, we had the Inc. 5000 six times. My friends are like, oh my gosh, you're this rock star entrepreneur. I'm like, eh, it doesn't feel so good. It just it doesn't fill that emptiness. Here's what I found out really does work. And I got this from Tony Robbins, so I have to give credit where credit is due. Success is doing what I want, when I want, with whom I want to do it as often as I want to do it. It's that choice. It's the people. It's the experiences. I can have a great experience at, a, at an amazing VIP event, or I can go to work for a walk in the park with my family and still have a satisfying, successful experience. 
Yeah, I, I agree. And uh, the parallels are kind of uncanny. My wife and I are foster parents in terms of my personal oh. life. In the last two years, we fostered 22 kids. And obviously, oh my gosh, that's actually, tremendous. The, the world is lucky to have people like you. Thank you. So it's an interesting like parallel that you've uh, mentioned in terms of addiction. And I see a lot of obviously parents and guardians have lost their children because of addiction. And it's one of those things where like, I do see the parallels in terms of like being so focused or so hungry or so driven for that, you know, high. I mean, it is kind of a, a dopamine, you know, oh, release. So absolutely. It really mirrors it and other things that are addictive through, you know, the advancements of technology. So social media, there's a real like now addiction to social media. So whatever kind of your vice is, it's, it's how you channel it. So you can channel that negativity and, and let it drive you to something positive, or obviously it's easier said than done than getting out of an addiction as well. Oh, for sure. And it's, it's interesting. So, you know, when people reproach me about me coaching them, often the question is, why should I hire you? I, lo I love the question. And one of the things I tell them is I still use a coach. So I don't have all the answers. And I, I use a coach, his name is Dr. Daniel Friedland. He's out of San Diego, California. And he's literally helped me change my life. And, you know, I didn't hire him until I was already, you know, in the eyes of society successful, but I had that emptiness within that longing within. And we spent so many hours pivoting me out of that, that mindset around expectation, moving it into intentions. Expectations are win or lose expectation or intentions have so many tributaries off that river to where we can go. And then you go a layer deeper about that, that, that fix of dopamine. And I remember I had this argument with him one time. It was funny. Those one of those one-sided arguments. Sometimes we have with our spouses where only one of us is talking yet. There's an argument going on. And I said to him, I said, you know, as a kid, the programming I received is go to school, get married, start a family and just be happy. My family, that was like the, the way we did things. I said, I did all that and I'm not happy. What the hell's going on? And he was really honest about it. Going back to the dopamine spike. He's like, that's not how it works. And he's a neuroscientist by training. He's literally done brains. I mean, he knows more about this stuff than, than anybody I'd ever met. He goes like, being happy is a spike of dopamine. You want to be happy? Go have some chocolate. You want to have a satisfying life? Realize there's going to be highs and lows. Focus on the journey. You know, you're, it's the hero's journey. Go to literature, go to films, go wherever. Once I pivoted into that mindset, it, it was game-changing for me because I then realized what I was chasing like the high, like the dopamine spike, whatever we get was not sustainable and it wasn't going to give me what I want. Yeah, I agree. So what's one thing that currently kind of motivates you to succeed? Obviously those motivations may have changed over time, but what currently motivates you to succeed? Well, you know, that's it, a great question. So when I, when I, when I think of motivation, again, I, it was a question I had for Danny years ago. I said, you know, I just don't feel motivated today. He's like, that's okay, because motivation only happens after you take action, which I had no idea about. So I find, first of all, if I feel unmotivated, and it still happens, first thing I do is I take an action. And I take that action towards one thing. I take it towards my why, my W-H-Y. 12 years ago, I was blessed to meet a guy named Simon Sinek before he had written his first book and done his famous TED Talk. And I meet him and I engaged him for two years to figure out two words, improve lives. That's my why. So every action I take is to improve someone's life. I do that through expressions of gratitude. I do that through spending time with people that are important to me. I, I do it with my clients. And, and with my clients, you know, people get so wrapped up of, you know, I want to grow my business. I want this. I want that. Why do you coach people? I coach people. I, I, my, my dopamine spike is the aha moment. 
the light bulb moment when there's a concept and they're struggling and they're trying and they're, they're driving towards what they really want to achieve in life. When I see that happen, that's my reward. That's, you know, I don't work for free, but that's my payment in many respects. That's what gets me motivated. It's like, okay, when can I have that next aha moment? And what I found is amazing is, you know, I, I've been volunteering a lot during COVID to work with, you know, kids in schools and, and, and having some kid who looks totally checked out in the beginning of the call, have that aha moment. Oh my gosh, that's a great day for me. Yeah, I agree. I think finding your why is obviously becomes what your core value and foundation is. And obviously, if you're an entrepreneur, that resonates into your business. So your business is an extension of you. You position it in terms of your core values. Obviously, you can add some other things onto it, but it's a reflection of you. So you truly have to understand what your why is in order to have direction in that sense. Because if you don't have a foundation or a, you know a core value in that sense as a business, you're going to go in different directions and then you're going to have things that contradict that, that you will pivot in directions that possibly lead you in the wrong direction and don't necessarily align with who you are or what your eye is because you haven't defined that yet. Oh, couldn't agree with you more. And, and so many people think that I'm just going to watch the cynic video on YouTube and it, boom, it's going to hit me. It took me two years to figure it out. And, and when talking with Simon, he says, you know, this is an iterative process. It may shift for you over the course of time, but don't, don't, don't put the pressure on yourself to get it right the first time or the second time. I went through a whole bunch of gyrations and iterations. We changed the core values of the company multiple times as people came and going, as we really got through those dark days. And to arrive on improved lives is so simple. And it, people think, oh, well, you, you must've just woke up and there it was like, no, it took a while. So people listening, you, know, you recognize and realize it's a satisfying journey. It's a journey worth taking, find your core values, find your why, but recognize it's going to take some time for most of us. Yeah, I agree. And you made a good point before about first taking action and then getting motivated. Because if, like you said, you watch a mo uh, video, you go on YouTube, motivational speaker, Tony Robbins, whoever you look at, Gary Vaynerchuk, whoever like pumps you up you're pumped up for like an hour or two and then it starts dying down unless yes. you do something about it and take action. Yeah. It's, it, it's, it's sometimes it's the simplest thing. So I, during the COVID times, I, I went through my phone. I have too many contacts to count and I just reached out to people I hadn't talked to in sometimes weeks or months or even sometimes years. I'll own that. I'm sometimes not the world's best friend when it comes to staying connected. But what I felt the world needed and I think it still needs is what, when we have to, when we have to socially distance, we, we, we create a, in, in the theory of a, a lot of disconnection. And so if we can bring people together, there's so many different ways to do this. So I thought, you know, what? I'm going to own my process. And I just started reaching out and connecting with people. Well, from that, you know, I, I, I've rekindled some relationships that should have, should, I should have done a better job with. So now I've got a second chance. I love that. But I also was able to, to really reach into to my old relationships or maybe some relationships that I didn't know what people needed something from me or I could be of service to them. And, and I had a servant, my, servant leadership mindset. And I, you know, I've helped entrepreneurs. I, I, I tracked it for about three months. And over about a 60 to 70-day period, I talked to over 42 entrepreneurs who were in pain, who were in chaos, who were in crisis. And a lot of them weren't the people I reached out to. They were like, like, hey, I reached out to Roman. Roman referred me to his friend Sue or his buddy Bill and he talked to Todd. He can help you with this stuff. And I met so many cool new people, so many amazing entrepreneurs who just were wrapped up like I was in 2006 with the itty bitty shitty committee telling me how much I suck. I, I kid you not. I had people say, I can't believe I didn't see COVID coming. 
I'm like, okay, well, unless you're Nostradamus, I don't know how you would have seen COVID coming. So let's give ourselves a break. And I have this model I put them through to get them unstuck. And you know, I've had pe- one person was literally going to file bankruptcy. 35 minutes later, she had found $4 million in, in unpaid invoices and other wastes that she had money squirreled away. And she's still in business today. That is so rewarding, but it wouldn't have happened if I hadn't done that positive intention, if I hadn't made that first step in the morning to reach out to people. Yeah, I agree. And I think that's important, like more so now with um, people being more distant away from each other. So I think that's important, kind of touching base, uh, offering help. And it's not necessarily help. It's just, you know, how are you? You know, what's what's on your mind and just listening. I mean, I find just listening in terms of a skill um, is more important than actually giving advice sometimes and is obviously more therapeutic for people that are going through really stressful situations. Oh, that's, I love your insight around that. You know, I, 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 I practice a process called listen to absorb, not to respond. And when I listen to absorb, what I do for people is I let them have two things. I let them be seen and I let them be heard. When you look at entrepreneurs, when you look at little kids, I, I even was, was really, you know, this is going to sound a little odd, but I was really blessed to spend three days in a maximum security prison volunteering around the topic of entrepreneurship. And what I found was that, that what I, I thought I'd go in and I would be really of service to these, these people, these people who are incarcerated, they were a service to me, believe it or not. They taught me so much about how they see the world and how it had someone maybe when they were younger seen them and heard them and validated their, just their humanness, their otherness, their existence. And now I, I've transferred that to, to the entrepreneurs I work with. It's amazing as we think about, you know, you think about an entrepreneur, you know, a company, guys running a $50 million company and a person who happens to be incarcerated, peel all the labels away, peel all the different, they're so much more similar than they are different. And again, it goes back to what you said so eloquently, you know, they want it, they, they want to be heard. And it's our job as coaches and as our job as, as, as people who, who are of service to others, listen to absorb. Listen, active listening is such an underdeveloped and underappreciated skill. Yeah, I agree. So what's one thing that you may have seen as a weakness in yourself in the past that you've turned around and utilized as a strength today? Oh, wow. Again, this could be another hour conversation. Um, so, you know, it, it's interesting when, when I think of all the... So the story I used to tell myself was my weaknesses were my, were my Achilles heel. Um, then I saw this speaker. His name is David Rendell. We've become friends. There's a book called Freak Factor. And, and his whole mantra, his whole messaging is what's weird makes you wonderful. Play to your strengths, not your weaknesses. Well, I grew up in a generation where you get your report card, for example, and you get five A's and one C. My parents would only want to talk about the C. They don't want to talk about the thing I didn't do well. Um, when I saw Rendell speak, and by the way, he's Dr. David Reynolds. He's a PhD. Everybody thinks he's just this really nice, friendly guy. He's really well-researched and really, really well-positioned to be the expert that I see him as. And you know, as I was explaining to, to, to my stepdaughter, Etta, the other day, she's 11 years old, and she, she's still not quite sure what I do for a living. And she, I said, you know, all the things I had criticized for as a kid, so I, I wouldn't sit still. I, I, I defied authority. Uh, I would get kicked out of class. I got great grades, so I wasn't a troublemaker, but I would just question things. Now, what do I get? And I, and I had a really good tight group of friends who I always was their, their go-to person when they were in pain, chaos, and crisis. Now, what do I get paid to do for a living? I listen to people. I, I question things and approach with massive curiosity. I'm of service to other people. 
and, and I help other people get unstuck and help them solve their problems. So the things I was criticized for, because there's no way to make money doing that when you're 17, 18 years old, 16, 15 years old, now 50 years old, that's what I get paid to do. So what I ultimately to answer your question, the things that were my weaknesses have all with my reframing of them become my strengths. And, and I realized that I was, society told me they weren't going to serve me well. And actually society was wrong. They really do serve me well. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. It's like, uh, obviously flipping the script, uh, script or switch or whatever analogy you want to use. And there's a lot of things that, you know, didn't benefit you or in, in the traditional kind of education system or societal norms, because I mean, you're pushed to a nine to five and, you know, still, still somewhat staying at a job, you know, X amount of years and then retiring is kind of the goal and getting as far as possible in kind of a corporate ladder. And when you start, you know, kind of going against that in a way, people start noticing and saying things and discouraging you. But taking those skills, I mean, I've had a lot of people on the show with similar experiences, experiences with diagnosis of uh, oppositional defiance disorder and ADD, ADHD, different diff autism, and all those were kind of put as labels, even though they may have done well in school and other things. But refining that and then obviously using it to your advantage is, is key today and, you know, whatever else that we go through in 2021 and, and going on. You know, as, as I was thinking about your question, I, th I thought there's a, there's a reverse of this too. So when I was five years old, I typically tell the story, but it, it just seems like it fits. And so I'm five years old and within 90 days, my entire life changed. Within 90 days, my, my father passes away out of nowhere at 45 years old with a heart attack. My mom had been the stay-at-home mom, went into the workforce. She had never had to do that before. My older brother got an athletic scholarship and went to, went three states away. My older sister got married and moved across the United States from the Midwest to the West Coast. We knew she was moving. So within 90 days, my entire nuclear family, as the mind of a five-year-old, had abandoned me. So what did that tell me? The only person I can rely upon is me. Starting a company as a startup entrepreneur, that's a great trait to have. I can do sales. I can do ops. I can do HR. I can do accounting. I can, you know, I use the analogy of a restaurant. You know, I can, I can, greet you at the table. I can serve you the food and I can wash the dishes and lock up at night. I can cover everything. Look at me. I'm a hero until it doesn't work. When I'm trying to grow and scale a company and I'm hiring people and I think I'm smarter than them. I have to be, I have all the answers. Then all of a sudden I go into this big spiral of depression because what worked for me didn't. So it, it can also, you know, as we go through life and learn these, these, these awarenesses about self, you know, there's, there's such a thing, such an important thing to be a lifelong learner. If you're going to be an entrepreneur and a lifelong learner realizes what worked for me before, it doesn't necessarily work for me now as well. Yeah, I agree. And I often say complacency is the death of innovation. So, you know, markets change, technology changes, different things in terms of where you can pivot or take your business or learning. So it's one of those things where there's a lot of people. And if you look at the Fortune 500 list, you know, 10, 20, 30 years ago, majority of those companies aren't on that list anymore because they got to a point, you know, we, we have market share, we know everything, no one's going to beat us, but that's not necessarily how it works. So. Yeah, well, and you get the disruptors who come in. I mean, look at in, you know standard industries like the you know the cab companies in the United States. They they had a monopoly. Boom, out of out of nowhere comes Uber and Lyft. You know, just these small. You know, Blockbuster was around forever. You know, then we have Netflix, we have streaming, all these different things, and people didn't pivot in 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 ways that that would have really ser served them them better. You know, even I just saw this thing the other day where, you know, I think it was either Sears or Kmart. It was Sears had the idea of home delivery, just like Amazon does. 
But instead, they went with this traditional brick and mortar and they bought Kmart. Had they just pivoted into being Amazon, they'd still be in business day versus the dinosaur and, you know, with, you know, in the annals of, of business history, basically no longer relevant. So we all go through these things, both business-wise and, and I think also personally. Yeah, I agree. So what's one piece of advice you can leave with the audience, personal or professional? Oh, it's really simple. Whatever you think the external problem in the world is, chances are it's you. Um, I thought my, I thought my staff was terrible. I thought the marketplace stunk. The reality is the bottleneck in my business was me. I'm, su- I'm successfully divorced. Take that for what it's worth. It's amazing how, as I reflect upon that decision and the, that relationship, how a lot of it was me. It, it's it's inside out leadership. It, it, it's it's never what we think it is if we're so focused on blaming others and not accepting responsibility. The great thing about it is once we become empowered, at least for me, once I become empowered, turn the businesses around. I'm in a great relationship now. I've got a great relationship with the, the key people in my life because I own my part of that. Yeah, I agree. And you're only looking at a situation from like what you see. If you're getting multiple people that are coming back with the same feedback and you're being defensive about it, because obviously at the end of the day, if you reach some level of success, you do have an ego component that may or may not come out every once in a while. So sometimes you refuse to come to terms with information like that, but being humble and kind of taking a step back. And I, I believe having emotional empathy and the biggest soft skill that I look for is emotional IQ. So really understanding that, taking a step back and, and, and positioning it like feedback, regardless of how it's packaged and delivered, it's it's still feedback. So don't get defensive about it or stand off it. see if it's applicable and at least try to make some kind of change. In worst case, you can go back to that behavior if you don't think it worked and, and best change or best case scenario, it's actually something beneficial for you. You know, it's it's interesting that you say that there's this there's this example I do when I'm on stage and it's it's I take a piece of paper and I write the number nine on it. And then I hold it, I have someone come up and I share it with them. So in the process of sharing it with them, the paper flips, I'm seeing a nine they're seeing a six. And I ask them, what do you see? Well, I see a six. I see a nine. I say, so who do you think's right? Nine out of 10 times, they like, oh, we're, oh, we're wrong. No, actually, we're both right. And if we can make space in our mindset that, that we don't have, someone doesn't have to win or lose. Someone can be right. You know, it's all our perspective on it. It's amazing how much more kind we are to each other. And it's, much more, it's amazing how much more kinder we are to ourselves. Yeah, I agree. Uh, even though I pivoted in the 2008 recession to digital marketing from criminal justice justice and the internship with the Secret Service, one class I remember um, in terms of a college is intro to logic. And it's like, it makes you think things out of the scope. So we had a, a problem that one plus one at one point in history or time will equal three. And there's like a, a five page mathematical equation where it equals three. And now like, you ask 99.9% of people, they say it's always two, but technically like in time, in space and everything else, it can possibly equal three. Like your example is clear cut where you flip it and it can be 50, 50, but there's examples out there that is just like logic and perspective and, and it can happen at some point of time. I never, I'm so I'm going to look that up. So I've actually, I'm glad we met because I'm going to check that out. Cause if you had asked me that you had a pop quiz me and said, Oh, it's always two. And it's funny because my son's a CPA. I'm going to play that game with him tonight when I talk to him on the phone. It's like, hey, is it always one plus one, always two? 
so yeah, I, I it's again, it's it's so much. It, there's a lot of a lot of people will, will I call it die on the hill. They'll fight to the death to be right. I often ask them though, how satisfied are you? How, how are you happy with? Are you happy that you you beat down your opponent, whether it's a in a business deal or sometimes you know I'm going to be right with my family, with my wife, with my husband, with my kids, versus approaching it with curiosity, asking somebody what why they see it the way they see it, giving them that opportunity, that breathing space to be seen and to be heard, so that you can you can instead of disconnecting, you can connect with the other party. And give up the pride and ego around being right. I think there's such a, a valuable lesson in what you're sharing about the the, the study on that one plus one equals three. I'm fascinated by that. Yeah, it was it was just like a I don't know that class was just a little much with with situations like that and um, different things where it was like different variables that weren't even mathematical. So we had to define or redefine what like our thought process was in terms of like math and equations and stuff so it's like one of those things where even though it was an introductory course and i took it as an elective it really like added some perspective in terms of different scenarios as well oh i love that i love that thanks for sharing that yeah my pleasure so i really appreciate you stepping by today can you let the audience know how they can find you and when the book comes out where it can be available Sure. So it's easy to find me. I'm on social media. Um, but anybody who's heard me today, I, I, I would love to have a conversation with you because when I talk with entrepreneurs or people who are struggling with chaos and crisis, it allows me to pay homage to the people who've been of service to me, like my coach, Danny Friedland, my previous coaches. I've had coaches in my life, gosh, coming up on 20 years now. So anybody who's heard me on the show, feel free to reach out to me at Todd at ExtraordinaryAdvisors.com reach out uh, 30 minutes for free, no charges, talk you through what you're going on. Maybe I'll help you find three or $4 million that you didn't find like the the person in Toronto I spoke with. Um, I'm on social media. You can catch me on LinkedIn. You can catch me on Facebook. You can catch me on Instagram. I'm all on there. They'll be on on Amazon. It'll be on Barnes and Noble. Uh, Then ultimately the, the goal is once the hardcover comes out, once the Kindle version comes out, hopefully we'll have an auditory book by the end of the year. uh, If there's enough demand. Awesome. Thanks again for stopping by. Thank you. This podcast has been brought to you by Nova Zora Digital. Find out how Nova Zora Digital can help your company grow online. Learn more at NovaZoraDigital.com. Until next time, all you digital savages.